All right, grab your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1. Let's stand as we open the Word of God together. Colossians comes right after Philippians. I was told when I was a teenager, the way that you remember the order there of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians is just remember that God eats potato chips or uh, Gentiles eat pork chops, G-E-P-C, Georgia Electric Power Company. Uh, a lot of things you can do to remember that, but if you can just find those epistles there right in the middle of your New Testament. Colossians is a letter that Paul wrote to a group of people that were being not only attacked in their faith from those on the outside who would try to get them to betray the, the, the true doctrine of Christianity, but there were those who were trying to infiltrate the church that would say, you know, there's a, a different way of gaining knowledge than just wisdom that comes from God and, and, and from his word, God's revealed will. It was uh, the Gnostics is what they were called. This form of Gnosticism was coming in and uh, trying to say, you know, there's, there's a way that you can kind of uh, almost like mysticism today in, in places like India. There's almost a, a different way you can embrace knowledge. But Paul was writing to correct that, and he mentions a prayer that he's praying, and this is what I'm going to read beginning with verse 9, verses 9 through 12. A prayer that you could pray for me. Some of you, uh, I had someone mention to me one time that they even had this passage marked in their Bible because I had said this many years ago when I came to be the pastor here. This is a good passage to pray for your pastor, but it's a great passage to pray for one another and especially for the church. So Paul writes, beginning in verse 9, For this reason we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Some translations there say wisdom and spiritual understanding, but spiritual modifies both words there. That you may walk, verse 10, worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthen with all might according to his glorious power for all patience, long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Father, we do thank you for this word, and we pray this prayer for this church family today, Lord, and for the body of Christ around the world, that we would be filled with the knowledge of your will. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us about how we can be better prayer warriors embracing this prayer, a visionary prayer, that we might pray it for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The message this morning is titled Visionary Prayer. But it's part of a series that we're going to be in for a while that I'm calling 2020 Vision, as we'll seek to sharpen the focus of our vision. I had begun this new year, 2014, thinking that when this Sunday came, that I would preach a visionary message, and in preaching that visionary message, that the church would enthusiastically get on board and we would look forward to see what God has in store. But as I began to prepare this message, the Holy Spirit of God began to convict me as I read the scriptures to not necessarily lay out a vision for the church on this day, but to begin a process of leading the church family through a season of discovery so that we might ask as the body of Christ, as a family together, Lord, what are you doing in our lives? What are you doing in the life of our ministries various ministries of the church. What are you doing in the life of this church together? What are you doing in our families' lives? Because I think it's important as a body of Christ that the pastor does not become some kind of uh, tyrant or some kind of elitist that says, you know what, I've, I've been away. 
I've, I've been to the mountain, I've been on Mount Sinai, and, I, and I've come back to dictate to you everything that the Lord has said. Instead, I think it's much better, and this is the pattern I see in the New Testament, that as a body of Christ, that we all experience what the, the New Testament teaches is the priesthood of the believers, that we all go before God and we get a word from him about the direction he is leading us in. Because it's much easier for you to get excited about a vision you receive from God than a vision that somebody else received from God and told you about. And so what I look forward to doing today is teaching you a little bit on how we can get started with that. And what we see here in Colossians chapter 1 is a visionary prayer. Now, I heard the story of a man who went to get some glasses, speaking of sharpening the focus. A man went to get glasses, and he had been reluctant. He had been stubborn about it. He needed glasses. His wife knew he needed glasses. She would explain to him, you need to go have your eyes examined. Finally, he went and had his, his eyes examined. They prescribed some glasses. He went to pick up his eyeglasses. He put the eyeglasses on, and she wanted to be very complimentary. And she said, you know, honey, when you've got those glasses on, you look 20 years younger. And he looked at her, and he said, but you know, baby, when I've got these glasses on, you look 20 years older. (laughs) Some of us are afraid to sharpen the focus, aren't we? We're afraid of what we might see. If we get a vision for the future, it's like, I don't really want to get a vision I'll remind you of what I said at the beginning of the year. If you don't see it before you see it, you'll never see it. We need to get a vision for what God is doing, what he wants to do in our lives. And so this message today teaches us that the starting point is prayer. Prayer as opposed to having a vision dictated to you or prayer as opposed to trying to work it up, trying to uh, maybe the pastor and the staff and other leaders in strategic ministries in the church trying to work up some kind of excitement. It's much better if we receive a vision from God because that's something we could get passionate about. We understand in, in Ephesians 3.20 that our God can do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or even think. That's the kind of vision we want. Jeremiah, put it this way, in Jeremiah 33.3, he says, call unto me and I'll show you great and mighty things which you do not know. In other words, I think God wants to blow our mind and I think that our prayer life should reflect that we are ready to receive that kind of vision from God. Paul built on the foundation of Jesus Christ as kind of a latecomer apostle. Paul obviously had a vision to change the world. We, we often refer to Paul as the greatest missionary who ever lived, but we forget about the fact that before he ever made it to Rome, before he circled Asia Minor, before Paul ever made it north and west to cover this known world, the known world of that day, Paul had a vision for doing that. He received visions literally in the night, but he also experienced vision as a desire of those things he wanted to accomplish for the will of God. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a vision like that? Do you have a vision for what you would like to see God do in your life? And is that vision divinely informed? And this prayer teaches us how such a vision can be divinely informed. This is one of Paul's 43 prayers recorded in scriptures. Isn't that interesting? Does that not tell you how important prayer is that in this New Testament, these 12 or so books by the Apostle Paul, maybe he wrote Hebrews, we're not absolutely positive on that one, but there are recorded 43 prayers that Paul prayed. And this is one I call a visionary prayer. And as we examine it, it will reveal to us how we're to pray in order that we might receive a vision from God for ourselves, for our families, for this church family, for the various ministries of this church, for our community, for our state, our nation, our world. 
And the first instruction that comes from this prayer is that we need to be praying that we would be filled with the wisdom of God. We need to pray that we would be filled with the wisdom of God. James says it this way, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask it of God, who gives to all of us liberally or generously without reproach, without finding fault. That's the wonderful thing about praying for wisdom. When we begin to pray for wisdom, God doesn't look at us and say, you idiot, you've already messed things up. I'm not going to give you wisdom. He says, listen, if you ask for it, I'm not going to point my finger at you. I'm not going to find fault in you. I'm going to give you this thing that you ask for. Solomon discovered the same thing. God said, because you ask for wisdom, I'm going to give you wisdom. So in verse 9, he says, for this reason. Now, if you want to know what the reason is, you have to go back and look at the text within the context. Verse 4, since the day we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, your love for all the saints, because of the hope. What do you see there? Faith, hope, love. Greatest of these, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 13, is love. But he says, I see all this in your church. I see faith, I see hope, I see love in your church, which is laid up for you in heaven which you have heard before in the word of truth of the gospel, you embrace the gospel when you heard it, which has come to you as it also has come to the world or is in the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. You've embraced the truth of God's word. You've embraced the gospel. People have come to know the Lord. You're growing in faith, hope, and love. There's a wonderful thing happening in your midst. And since I've heard of this, I haven't ceased praying for you. See, Paul didn't say, you know, and this is a mistake. I'm, can I just confess a sin in my own life? And I've confessed it to some of my brothers here before. Some, sometimes when, when it looks like things are going pretty good for a family, maybe I pray for the other families that things don't seem to be going so good for. But Paul is saying, I looked at this church, and, and man, you had something going good here. Wonderful things were happening. And because wonderful things were happening, I realized I better start praying for you. You know, sometimes those who seem to be doing really well are the ones that need our prayers the most. He says, man, something's happening here. I'm I'm ready to, to invest in this with my prayer life, with my teaching. There's something good here, and I want to throw some gasoline on the fire. And I think that the Lord would say to Trinity Baptist Church, man, you've got something good going here. There's some love there, there's a faith that is authentic, not worked up or contrived. There, there's hope, there's enthusiasm, there's excitement, some wonderful ministries are taking place. And so that doesn't mean we don't need to pray. It means we better start praying. If truly the best is yet to come, we, we need to see what's taking place. And as Paul was saying to the Colossian church, he says, you've got a good thing going here. We better see what God wants us to do with that not just to sustain it. When you get to a place, and I've seen so many leaders, deacons, pastors, teachers, and all of that, that something good begins to happen in the life of a church, and they they get a little uh, nervous about it, and they don't want to lose it, so they try to take control of it themselves instead of letting God do what he wants to do. And listen, if it's God doing it, it's, it's out of my control. It's out of your control anyway. It's bigger than us. But I'd rather it be in God's hands than my hands, wouldn't you? And so he says, good things are happening here, so you know what? I'm praying, and I'm praying that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I want you to be filled with his knowledge. I want you to understand something. And we know God has a plan for our life. Many of us can quote, and sometimes I put it on some birthday cards when I mail it out to just rem- as a little reminder to you, Jeremiah 29, 11. 
for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. I've got plans for you to prosper. I've got plans for good, not for evil, to give you a hope and a future. And it's good to know that God has a wonderful plan for our life, but often we fail to read two more verses because in Jeremiah 29, 13, it says, he says, so seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. In other words, to get in on that wonderful plan God has for you, you've got to have a heart that seeks him and says, God, I need your wisdom. I need a vision from you. I want to know what that plan is. I want to embrace it. Here I am. I'm willing, and I'm going to seek you with all of my heart. So he uses the word spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's got to be from God. It's a wisdom that comes from God. It's the Holy Spirit guided wisdom. He says the knowledge of his will. Now, knowledge in this verse has to do with both cognitive and experiential knowledge. You've got to know it, but you've also got to experience it. Both the wisdom and the understanding and the knowledge that we receive have to come from God, but there is a process in this understanding. It's a process of deduction as I begin to walk with him, and we're going to see the second instruction concerning our prayer in just a moment. It is a prayer that we would walk with God, but this, this knowledge has to be divinely given. It's, it's God's direction as you begin to take him by the hand and hear his voice, study his words, spend time on your knees where, where you're walking sensitively. Sometimes hindsight is that 20-20 vision, isn't it? When we look back and we say, wow, now I see what God was up to all this time. I see where God was taking me all this time. And so, so we've got to seek him and, and, and walk with him and, and receive the wisdom that comes from him. There's, there's a device that many of you have in your cars today, and I do not have one in my car for a few reasons. It's called a GPS. Here are some of the reasons I do not have a GPS. I realize, you know, some of you are like, I wouldn't get to where I'm going half the time if I didn't have a GPS. Well, here's what I've discovered. At least one-third of the time that I'm with somebody who has a GPS will explain to me that it really isn't giving them the best directions for that particular route that particular day. And I figure one out of three, I mess up less. I mess up, but I mess up less than one out of three times. Uh, secondly, I've had to learn, it's taken me almost 20 years of marriage, you know, to learn to listen to my wife and let her speak instruction into my life. And, and, and so I've, I've learned, she'll tell you, I hope and pray she would tell you that I'm becoming a better listener than I used to be. But I'm not about to let some feminine robot talk to me as I'm driving down the highway. It's just, you know, it's just not where I'm at in my growth and spiritual maturity in my life. And, um, and so I have a problem with that. The other thing is, and my wife would probably tell you this is true too, if I did get to the place where I would let this thing speak to me in the car, I would argue with it. I, I, would, just, I would just argue with it. I know better than you know. I'm going to go my way. That's just the, the stubbornness. So you pray for me there, but, but we have a hard time. And if we have a hard time with something like GPS, sometimes our stubborn nature will cause us not to want to stop and listen to God. And God knows all things. He is omniscient. He is seeing better than, than, uh, than anything we could click on with Google Earth or anything else. God sees where we've been. He sees where we're going. In his way, his directions are the very best for us. Sometimes we might get off course and have to hear God say, recalculating, got to get you back on course, got to get you back on the right direction. But I want to hear from God. I want to hear what he is saying because I have no doubt whatsoever that God's ways are right. And so church, as we begin to seek vision, let's commit to pray and to ask God 
for wisdom during this season of discovery. Ask yourself questions like this. What is God doing? What's he doing in my life? What's he doing in the life of this church? And what's, and I appreciate um, our chairman of deacons, Mitchell Hill, is one of the charter members of this church. He challenged us a couple weeks ago. He says, it's time for us to ask, what's next? Because like Jeff said, there are a lot of things that we had a vision for that are in place now. And it's not time to grow complacent. It's time to ask, what's next? God, what's next? And so we need to be asking him, what's next? In my life, life of this church, the life of the various ministries of this church. Henry Blackaby in Experiencing God said that God speaks this way. He speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church. The Bible, prayer, circumstances, church. One of those is very objective. It's the Bible. It's black and white. God reveals his will very clearly in the word of God. And then prayer, how we begin to communicate with God. Circumstances, begin to see, ask the question, what's God doing in this situation? Before Pastor Ben came on staff here, I remember praying about who would be uh, my next associate, who, who could be a minister to families in this church. And over and over again, I had to ask the question, what's God doing here? And it became abundantly clear that that's what God was doing in Ben's life, my life, life of this church. What's God doing in our lives today? Ask that question. Circumstances. And, and then the church. What are other people that are around you confirming as they speak into your life? So pray that we would be filled with wisdom of God. And here's the, the second instruction concerning prayer. Pray that we would be faithful in our walk with God. Pray that we would be faithful in our walk with God. If getting a vision from God, getting in the will of God is taking Jesus by the hand and, and walking with him, then we need to be faithful in that walk. So look what he says in verse 10. That we may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Let's walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. We're walking worthy of the calling by which we were called. This, this reveals the general aspects of God's will without us having to even put a lot of thought into it, doesn't it? See, the Bible is like that. You begin to go to the Word of God and say, God, I need to hear from you. I need to understand your will for my life. There are so many times that you don't even have to have that much of a vision for the future because God's Word just kind of lays out God's will. It is God's will that we would be a witness for him. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses. It is God's will for us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So that vision that we have for God must be a vision where our worship and our witness reveals that we have a passionate love for the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not something you have to pray about as to whether or not you're supposed to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That is already God's revealed will. For some people that are, you know, praying about God's will for when they get married and things like that, you know, what's in store for me? Yeah, and, and, you know, I can't tell you already ahead of time in advance who it is that you're going to be married to one day. But I do know this, that in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, Paul says, this is God's will concerning you, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So he says, listen, it's not something you even have to pray about. Here's the answer. Here is God's will, that you keep yourself pure and holy and when you are married, you keep that marriage sacred and pure and holy before God. So the Bible throughout, as we read the Bible, seeking God for his direction, his will, many times it just kind of tells us what his will is, and his will is that we walk with him and walk worthy of that calling by which we were called. See, your 2020 vision should show a biblical destiny of where you're going. Romans eight twenty nine 
says we were predestined, it's our destiny to be conformed to the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the way God is transforming me from the inside out, that I become more like Jesus tomorrow than I was today. That's part of God's will for my life. And as we pray about God's will for this church, God's going to begin to speak to us in various areas of ministry that we call discipleship and say, this is what you're to be about as a church. As we sharpen the focus of our vision, we have a vision statement that says that we are going to basically care about the next generation. We're going to invest in in young people. But part of that vision must be that there is a process in place. And I'm going to ask a lot of our children's workers and parents to help me pray for a vision from God for this and putting this sharper focus in place. But there is a strategy in place so that a child that goes through the various ministries of this church from the nursery till they graduate from high school, that they look more like Jesus than they would without walking through that process of discipleship. What does it look like? What, what, what should they be able to do in knowing and loving and serving God and being able to articulate their faith and defend that faith? There's a vision for you here that you walk with God, that you sell out to him. We see a little bit more about what that looks like in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. In Colossians chapter 3, he says that, Whatever you do in word or deed, that you do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. And then in verse 23, and whatever you do, do it heartily or with all your heart or passionately as unto the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance where you serve the Lord Christ. And that sandwich is a passage where he talks about being a Christ-like disciple in your marriage with your children, in relationship with your parents, in your workplace. That's the vision that we've got to have. Discipling, fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. It's so easy to coast. But I believe God's calling us as a church to be more aggressive in this pursuit of a vision. Watching a basketball game, and and my family reminded me I'm not always a lot of fun to watch basketball, especially when George is playing Kentucky. But I find myself saying, you know, go strong to the basket, man. Go strong. to why'd you, Don't be lazy. Don't be Go strong to the basket. And I think with some of our goals in this life, God is saying, go strong to the basket. Have a little bit more passion, a little bit more aggressiveness in pursuing what God has laid out before you. Pastors, teachers, spiritual leaders, constantly, maybe our vision is they're, they're constantly kind of getting up in our face saying, it's time to go strong to the basket. Time to be more passionate about what that goal is that's laid out before you. So how do we sharpen the focus? Last season of discovery we went through as a church, we articulated some core values. They're on our website. I encourage people before they join the church, read our core values, understand what we're all about. But I believe God will, during this season of discovery, say, okay, add to your core values some biblical core competencies So we're not just saying that we believe prayer is important, but we know what it looks like when somebody makes it important in their life. We're not just saying that ministry to the whole family is important, but we know what it looks like when a family is strong and growing in God's grace, being discipled. 
We're not just saying that missions is a priority for our church, but we know what it looks like when the members of the church really believe that missions is a priority. We're not just saying, you know what, we're going to make stewardship a priority so that everybody will use their spiritual gifts and, and financial resources to invest in the kingdom. But we're saying when people begin to do that, here's what it's going to look like. And so we'll put some core competencies and informed by Scripture into place so that we can evaluate, so that you can look at your own life and look at the Word of God like James tells us to do, a, a man beholding himself in a mirror, and, and realize what adjustments need to be made for you to be that disciple of Christ. Our vision has to be a vision for people. Not just excited about who's here, and I am excited this morning about who is here. And some of you I've known for a long time, some of you I'm just getting to know. I'm excited about being a part of the family of God. But a vision has to include those who aren't here. It's getting a vision so we can say, well, you know, and I've heard people say this of churches of all sizes, churches that run 40 or, or, or 100 or 200 or 500 or 1,000. Well, pastor, I think we're just kind of big enough the way we are right now. But a vision says not who's here. Who's not here? 80% of Madison County will not be in a worship service this morning. 68% do not claim to even have a church affiliation. That's in Madison County, Georgia, right here in the Bible Belt. Did you realize that? 68% do not have an affiliation with the church whatsoever. So we need to be asking in our vision statement, who's not here? I, I did something this week that was a little bit dangerous for me, considering I don't have an ACL and I keep messing my knee up again and again. But I, I climbed up on a, uh, the, the cabinets in my office holding on to the bookshelves, reaching way up on top of the bookshelves. When I was pulling down some things because I was praying about vision, some other things. Quite honestly, I knew that there had been some blueprints for a new sanctuary up there for a long time. And I'm like, I wonder what those blueprints even look like. It's been so long since I looked at those things. I wonder what they look like. And I pulled those blueprints down and opened up one. I said, that's kind of nice. That would work. This wouldn't work. That would. I pulled and I opened up, and they were just rolled up. And they're in my office. Who cares to look? Some of you are going, man, we've got those. But I'm looking at all this, and, and, um, and, and finally, uh, the last thing that was rolled up up there, I pulled it down thinking it was probably some more blueprints. I, there were even blueprints of this building. If anybody has been wondering where those were, they were in my office all along. But there were blueprints for this building. And so I pulled them down and I looked at it and thought, well, that's kind of cool. They had a vision for this building and the building is now here. And then, but the last thing I pulled down was a map of Madison County. It wasn't blueprints at all. It was a map of Madison County, Georgia. And it was as if the Holy Spirit of God convicted me at that point and said, listen, it's not about buildings and budgets. Do we need those to facilitate ministry? Yes. Will the season of discovery help us to determine what the order of priorities should be in that process? Certainly. But the Holy Spirit of God was convicting me at that point. The vision is not about buildings and budgets. It's about people. It's about reaching the people who do not know Jesus Christ and helping those who have come to know him grow in their faith. So we need to discover that our walk with God will help us to mature in all of those areas. And then the third instruction that we have concerning prayer that comes right out of this text is we need to pray that we would be fruitful in our work for God. Pray that we would be fruitful in our work for God. He goes on to say in verse 10, not only fully pleasing him, but being fruitful in every good work, still increasing in the knowledge of God, and then being strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Those are three more elements of the fruit of the Spirit, being fruitful in every good work. We have not been called to be bench warmers for Jesus. We've not been called to be 
spectators in the body of Christ were called to be fruitful on his team. Jesus said, you will know them by their works, by their fruits. James, the brother, half-brother of Christ, said, faith without works is what? Say it again. Faith without works is dead. We're not saved by our works, but we're saved for works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, very familiar to most of us. For by grace are you saved through faith. That's not of yourself. Gift of God, not by works or we'd brag about it, but we often forget verse 10 does go on to say, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Philippians says that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And so we're to dig down deep and discover what those works God has placed in us are. Some of you are thinking, yeah, but I, I, just, I don't think I can do anything great for God. Well, here's the news. You can't by yourself, but God can do some mighty things in and through you. You begin to get a vision from him, get a passion for serving him, and embrace Philippians 4.13 with a new understanding. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. How do we do it here? We can't do it on our own, but he gives us some instruction. We're strengthened with all might. The word for strengthen and the word for might come from the same Greek word, dunamis. It means dynamite. And I know sometimes you have heard in churches, pastors try to get us just fired up for God and say, man, that word dunamis is where we get the word dynamite and we think of explosive power. Boom, man, I'm going to explode for God. The problem is dynamite had not been invented when the Bible was written. And it's not talking about explosive power. It's talking about God's power that is constant constantly working within you, where you feel like, I'm growing weary and well-doing, I can't keep on, God says, yes, you can. You can endure. You can stay with it. It's a power that works something in us that we could never work up on our own. And he says, all of this is according to what? His glorious power. God's perfect, God's glorious, God's wonderful power. So our vision then and again, I'm, I'm just confessing a little bit. Sometimes I struggle. I want my vision to be calculated. Our vision is often calculated, and we leave God's power out of the equation. Now, I know that counting the cost is a biblical concept, but it's counting the cost of discipleship and being willing to give it everything you've got. But we often, when it comes to receiving a vision from God, setting goals for things that we want to accomplish for the glory of God, we often let those calculations cause us to kind of, let's just kind of stack the deck. Let's set the bar low so that we can have some moral victories along the way. Yeah, I've coached minor league baseball before. I know what it means, set the bar low. You, you know, you get, get dealt a hand and you're like, you see these boys throwing the ball around and you're thinking, man, and you go and you tell those guys, if we can win three games this year, it would be awesome. Come on, guys, you can do it. Well, that's a great goal, isn't it? That really fires them up. That's really showing some confidence in them. But those things we do for God, sometimes we, we want to set the bar so low that when we accomplish it, we can say, man, praise God. He has done great things. And God is saying, no, you did that on your own. You didn't need me for that one. Why do we set the bar low? Why do we, why do we keep the vision restrained? Perhaps we do that so our vision won't upset the status quo. Perhaps we set the bar low so that nobody else feels threatened by our vision. 
Nobody else feels challenged or upset about it. Perhaps we set the bar low and, and, and we keep our vision small so that we place no one in the awkward position of having to say, you're aiming too high. I, I had uh, Tina and Kent sit through a painfully long movie with me on Friday night. It was called The Pursuit of Happiness. If you haven't seen it, it's uh, uh, pretty painful to watch. It's, uh, you know, you, you, it's kind of like that movie some of you remember from the 90s, Hope Floats, and you kept waiting on Hope to float, and it didn't until like, you know, the very end and the movie ended. Well, th- this one was you know, very similar. I won't tell you the end, but I will tell you one scene that it did inspire me in the movie, and that's where uh, Will Smith is playing basketball with his little boy, and he's explaining, you don't even need to be out here wasting your time shooting a basketball. I don't want to hear about you doing that because... It's not in your, your gene pool, and I can't, and he, he misses the backboard entirely, and, and uh, then he catches himself. He realizes he, he sees his little boy's crushed spirit, and he goes to him, he says, listen to me, don't let anybody ever tell you you can't do anything, even me. Well, certainly, we need people that recognize our blind spots and say, man, I don't think God's doing that in your life. But when we get a vision from God, there's going to be a lot of people that will say, That's not possible. You can't do that. And what we'll begin to do, if we're not careful, Trinity Baptist Church, listen to me, if we're not careful, we'll say, well, let's have a vision and let's set some goals in place that we know that if all of us are operating in the flesh, we can still accomplish those things. Rather than saying, let's get a vision from God and let's put some goals in place that if it happens, only God can get the glory because those people... Uh, outside of the church that are seeing this happen will say, I know that pastor, I know those deacons, I know that church family. They weren't capable of that. That had to be a God thing. That's the kind of vision that I believe God wants us to have. Here's what happens when God provides the power. It takes place with patience. Look at verse 11, the second part there. All patience, long-suffering with joy. Patience is the ability to remain under it. In other words, when we get a God-sized vision and we embrace the task of pursuing that vision, it's going to take patience to remain under it. And so God's strength gives you the patience to remain under it. And then long-suffering, the ability to take heat for a long, sustained period of time. If you want to be a great cook, you know, they used to say, take the heat and stay in the kitchen. Well, sometimes in ministry, it's that way, right? You've got to take the heat and stay in the kitchen. And so God is supernaturally providing the ability to remain under the load that you're carrying and providing long-suffering, the ability to take heat from all sides for a long period of time. And here's the cool thing, because I know that if you stop right there, some of you are saying, well, that's no fun. Ministry and vision and passion and, and, and mission and all that becomes drudgery because I'm just staying under it for a long time. What does he add to this process? He says, with joy. So that there becomes a supernatural joy in your life because even though it is hard work, you're doing what you love to do. That's become my life, and I hope that for many of you that your vocation allows you to do that. You say, it's hard work. It is hard work, but I'm doing what I love to do. That's the joy that comes with the process. We're going to have a good time. We're going to have a good time in the process of embracing the vision that God has for us. So we can't be afraid of striking out. We can't be afraid of that. Did you realize this? Babe Ruth struck out 1,330 times in his career. I'd heard that he was a strikeout king. He did lead the league five times in strikeouts. In all time, he's 95th 
for the times that he has been struck out playing baseball. So what do we learn from his life? That you, you never hit home runs if you don't swing the bat. You're not going to hit any strike. So we're so afraid of striking out that we don't swing the bat. And what do we do? We strike out. We accomplish nothing. But if we're willing to swing the bat, it's like, you know what? I'm going to go up there hacking. If I strike out, at least I tried. Again, going back to those minor league days, any of you coaches ever say, hey, I don't care where that ball is. You, some poor kid hadn't swung the bat all season, and you're like, I don't care where that ball is. You swing the bat. Just swing the bat. Even Jake hit a grand slam a couple of years ago. Just swing the bat, right? It's going to run into the ball every now and then. How many of us are striking out because we're not willing to swing the bat? I'd rather go down swinging, folks. I'd rather say, you know what? Yeah, we tried that and it didn't work. It, it, it might work next time, but it, we tried that and it didn't work. Then somebody look at my life and say, you know, he was never willing to try anything. He was ne- never willing to go for it. It's got to be something to where only God can get the glory when it happens. See our instructions again for, for how we're to pray throughout this process. Pray that we would be filled with the wisdom of God. Pray that we would be faithful in our walk with God and pray that we would be fruitful in our work for God. All this was motivated, he says in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. What motivates us? What keeps us excited? What keeps us visionary and wanting to do great things for God? It's the fact that God had a vision for me and you. Enough that he loved us so much that he stepped out of heaven, became a man, and went to a cross and died on that cross in our place. Rose again victoriously from the grave. He said, that's what living is all about. Now get in on it. Receive what I have for you. By grace, get a vision from me. And go for it, because one day, one day you're going to be with me in eternity. It's going to be too late to get a vision at that point for what you're going to do in this life. So let's get it now. Would you bow your heads with me?